Welcome to Insight, the podcast where we explore the creative solutions achieved by associations navigating today's turbulent business, regulatory, and social landscapes, and the people who lead them. I'm Donna Oser, President and CEO of the Michigan Society of Association Executives and co-host of the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight. We invite you to join us monthly. Each episode of the show is co-hosted by some of the best and brightest young leaders in Michigan's association community. For our first few episodes, we have the good fortune to be joined by Ariel Backus, CMP CTA Sales Manager for Choose Lansing. Ariel, thank you for co-hosting and welcome to Insight. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Donna. Hello, everyone. I'm super excited to be able to hear firsthand how associations are serving their members and learn more about the people who are leading these associations. Glad to have you with us, Ariel. Today's show is brought to you by Association Briefings. The wicked smart team at Association Briefings specializes in member engagement through storytelling. One way they do that is by providing a turnkey podcast service to associations, just like this one. As one of the fastest growing digital mediums today, podcasting presents a great opportunity for associations to educate and entertain an industry audience of members and non-members alike. I couldn't agree more, Ariel. I'm fascinated by the work being done by associations. I look forward to learning about how leaders are tackling some of their industry's thorniest problems and affecting positive change for their industries and their organizations. Same here, Donna. I want to learn more about their leaders and how those leaders are engaging five generations within their associations, boards, and staff teams. Our first guest is a fantastic example of those efforts. Sam Clement is president and CEO of the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. Sam joined the MAB as CEO and president-elect in 2021 and succeeded to president in 2022. Welcome to Insight, Sam, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Ariel and Donna. Sam, can you tell us about MAB? Who are your members and how large is your staff team? Yeah, thanks for the question. And again, thanks for having me here. The Michigan Association of Broadcasters, we are a 501c6 organization, and we have 285 TV and radio commercial members. And that represents stations across the state, all the way from the southwest part of the corner of the state to the UP, everywhere in between. And we're blessed to have a number of boards of directors, because not only do we have the Michigan Association of Broadcasters, we oversee the Michigan Association of Broadcasters Foundation, and also the Michigan Association of Public Broadcasters, and each has their own board. And we're really blessed to have an engaged group of people that, while they're competitors in the commercial marketplace, they come together collectively for the betterment of the association. So we're, we're really proud of that. And from an internal side, we have a staff of eight that work here in our Lansing office building. Tell us a little bit, how did you come to serve as president and CEO of MAB? I was fortunate enough to have worked in the association space for a number of years before taking over the MAB. I started my career as a journalist. I worked there for about 10 years uh, across the Midwest. And then I ultimately transitioned into the association side. And I worked uh, as their director of member services at the Indiana Broadcasters Association for about six years. But in that time, I got to know Carol White, my predecessor here. And when she decided to, to retire after uh, 36 very successful years, I started the process and, and interviewed against so 30 plus candidates and went through that process and was fortunate enough to get the position. Awesome. I'm sure your association is super lucky to have you. 
What does it mean to you to return to Michigan as a Michigan native and an MSU alum? Go green. Uh, go white. Anyone that knows me knows that I am a, a diehard Detroit sports fan and a Michigan State fan. I love the state of Michigan. It means a lot to me. I, I grew up here. My friends are here. I went to school here. And so to come back was exciting. After I graduated from Michigan State, I, I worked as a journalist everywhere but Michigan, really in the Midwest. I was in Illinois, in Minnesota, Indiana. So to come back and help inspire hopefully a new generation of young broadcasters is exciting. Like I said, I, I get to work with people that honestly I grew up watching and listening to. And so it's surreal at moments that I get to work alongside these people because they were heroes in this industry. And so I feel extremely fortunate to, to be in this position. We were interested to learn that you had actually served as a reporter once. I think yeah. that Ariel was hoping to hear a little bit more about your experience in that. Ariel? Absolutely. Yeah. So I read that you were a reporter previously. Yeah. Can you share a story with us, one of your most memorable stories that you have reported on, and how that experience and story still influences the work that you're doing today? Yeah, I, I was a journalist for about 10 years. and I started in very small markets in Illinois and, and Minnesota. Uh, and ultimately, like I said, wound up in Indiana for some NPR affiliate stations. So I worked for the commercial side in my first two jobs and went to the public side in the last two stops. And I got to cover some very cool things. I got to cover presidential inaugurations, Big Ten championship football games, and then everything in between, city council meetings, school board meetings, public interest. And so I, I saw a lot of it. But a story that always stands out to me, and, and I laugh about it now, because it's really a story that was a throwaway story. It was a Friday afternoon when I was working for a commercial station in Minnesota, and it was about, like, it was a, a local bake-off at a, a nursing home, I believe. And it was, I announced who won first place. And then on Monday morning, I got an email from the woman that got second place, and she was furious that I reported that the woman that won because she had a store-bought recipe for this bake-off, and it wasn't homemade. And she thought that there was an injustice in me reporting that this woman had won. And she wanted me to announce and give some context that this was a store-bought one. She didn't abide by the rules. And I say that I laugh as I tell the story, but it's a nice reminder of the localism that matters and things that matter to people on a local level. And while that story, yes, it doesn't change the world and, and really it didn't matter outside of that, it's a constant reminder that the things you report on matter to, to certain people. And to make sure that you're accurate, to make sure that you're giving it your best, no matter how insignificant it may feel to you in the moment, these stories have purpose and they change the data to how people you know, live their lives and go live, work, and play in their communities. Uh, but I've never forgotten that. And I try to keep that uh, in the forefront of everything that I do as I leave the MAB. That's great. I can understand her angst. She was pretty fired up. Yeah, she was, she was pretty bad. I, I will say I did not change the story because it was accurate. I recorded who won, but I appreciated her feedback and at least she was listening. So that was, that was nice too. Absolutely. So that helps us appreciate that local news is really personal, right? So Yeah, and I'd just like to add, the media landscape has changed so much, but I think one thing is, is universally true and it's that people need to know what's happening in their backyards. And I think now more than ever, as big as the world is, sometimes it's comforting to just have an understanding of what's happening in your neighborhood and at your city council level. And, and I think our members do a really good job and are really focused on making sure there's context behind the things that are happening in their communities. Which kind of brings me to my next question. Sam, we have the good fortune of having you serve on our board. We appreciate yeah. your leadership. At the board table, we talk about the fact that we really believe that ultimately associations are changing the world. And so tell us a little bit from your view about how MAB members are changing the world. I think it's what I just outlined. Our world needs accurate information. And I know there's a huge push and there has been for the years about mistrust in media and the concerns with reporting. And, and, and to some degree, that is accurate. But I would say that 
our members do a really good job of making sure that what they report on is accurate. They give voices to people that don't always get the opportunity to share their stories. And I think that's the future of our industry. There are only so many places with the way that newspapers are going and then just in general how people consume media. It's important to have an understanding of how decisions are being made on a local level. And really the only ones that can do that at a mass scale is local broadcasting. And yes, people can find music in a variety of different ways with Spotify and Apple Music. And maybe you're not you know, scoring the dial necessarily like you were 20, 30 years ago. And maybe you're not necessarily sitting down every night to watch your five o'clock news. But when you're looking to find information about what's happening in your communities, I ask young people this all the time. How do you find local news? Oh, I see it on Facebook. Who's posting on Facebook? Oh, my local TV station or my local radio station. How do you find new artists in your community? Oh, I heard an artist from you know Grand Rapids was on our local station in Grand Rapids or in Traverse City or Port Huron. And that's a space that we'll always have. And I, I think it's important to remind people that's a resource they have to make connections within their community. Absolutely. So obviously when you came into the position, you had some perspective based upon your your work experience, both as a journalist, but also the fact that you'd had the opportunity to work with the Indiana Society as well. So tell me about, as a new executive in Michigan, serving your Michigan constituency, how did you listen to your members and the industry as a whole so you could gain your footing and figure out how to serve them when you first started? When I was going through the interview process, I told the the search committee pretty candidly, look, I'm young and I'm, I'm a novice at this. This, this, is a, this will be a new experience for me leading a team. And so the best way that I think I can do that is to listen to other people. I have ideas, but I can't execute those until I understand full context of, of what needs to be done and some of the nuance of how the association has operated in the past. And so I, I vowed that I would listen first and act second. So when I, I first took over um, in January of 2022 officially, we started a strategic plan process. And going through that was one of the smartest things I think that the board did. They gave the direction to do that. And we did that for a number of months. And we did had a third party that, that helped us with that. And then we unveiled the findings at the first annual business meeting that I led in August of 2022. And from that came a number of things that our members were asking for in terms of help from the association. So helping with recruitment, helping with retention, and helping with what they call advocacy. And it's not in the way that you maybe traditionally think about it of going to Washington, D.C. and lobbying or going to the state house and lobbying, advocating just for the value of our industry in general. So general awareness about why local broadcasting matters. And that was great because that allowed that every decision that I and our team made moving forward, it doesn't tie back to one of those three or missions we shouldn't be doing it or we shouldn't be investing in it or putting time and resources into doing those things. So it was used as a guideline for us and it's been incredibly helpful for us to operate over, over the next 18 months or so. Based on your listening, what has surfaced as a significant issue for broadcasters? Yeah, so it, it was those three things. It was recruitment, retention and, and advocacy and even more than that. So those were what were identified and then it was, all right, so what are the steps that need to be done to address those issues? And so through the process of, we had focus groups that was part of this in this exercise, and we had meetings and committees and everyone put their heads together. Again, I give a lot of credit to the board. They put down their competitive side and they said, what needs to be done for the greater good of our industry? And that's how we landed here. And that was, again, a blueprint for the future of the MAB, both in the short term and the long term. In that strategic plan, it had here are the short term goals, here are the long term goals. 
you know, short-term being defined as a year to two years, a long-term three to five years. And then I hope five years from now, or I guess four years now, we go back and we look and we say, hey, did we achieve these things in some capacity? Okay. And if we have, how do we build on those moving forward? Awesome. So let's unpack some of those. So you surfaced the issues by listening to your members. Yes. And so one of those issues that you mentioned was recruitment, the workforce for broadcasting. And so talk to us about how you went after that challenge, that issue. Yep. So the number one, and wanted to take a big swing. And we are not unique in that recruitment of broadcasters needs to happen just in Michigan. It, it is a national issue. We need to get people. And it's not just the on-air talent that you're, you're saying. It's getting sales staff. It's getting engineers. It's getting producers. It's the entire ecosystem of the broadcast industry where we need young talent and, and, and need to identify that. And so our board wisely, in my opinion, said, let's go do a recruitment campaign. It's really never been done like this in the country. I think people hadn't thought about it, but it's one thing to think about. It's another thing to say, let's take a swing at it. Because if you don't do it now, this is an issue that's just going to continue to snowball and get worse and worse. We need to try to put some stakes on the ground on this. A year after we did the strategic plan, we launched uh, what was called our Be There Michigan campaign. It was built over the course of about 10 months. We hired an outside agency. We RFP'd it, and then we identified the group that we think could best get our message across. We didn't want the messaging and the campaign to be done internally because we thought there would be too many blind spots. We think we know what we need as broadcasters, but we may not be seeing that we're in it. We're too close to it, we thought. So let's get an outsider's perspective to give us a vision that might resonate with people who hadn't even thought about the broadcast industry, has no relationship with the broadcast industry. And we developed what is called the Be There Michigan campaign. We have a website called BeThereMichigan.com. And on that site, it has a four and a half minute video, which talks about every career opportunity available within the broadcast industry, not just in Michigan, but everywhere in the country. We want people to work obviously here in Michigan, but it, it pertains to all jobs across the country. So we have this video that we've then taken to colleges and universities, as well as high schools. And we launched it in August. We've taken it to more than 6,000 students between now and then and doing this in December. In a, in a short amount of time, we've gotten this in front of a lot of students. But it also has details, descriptions about 15 different jobs, what you need to do to prepare for the job, how you apply for the job, what are the continuing education and skills that you need to make yourself successful. It has you know resources to jobs that are open now, uh, internships that are available now. And then this is all tied into a larger theme of we also have 30, 15-second, 60-second commercials that are airing on our TV and radio stations across the state. We have local media campaign on it. We have both Spanish and Arabic versions of it as well because we want to make sure that we connect with all communities in the state of Michigan. And those are obviously two of the larger ones that are, that are not English. And so we have an entire you know built-in system where we're trying to connect with young people where they are. Where I think traditionally, young people, I was one of them. I always wanted to do broadcast because that's what I grew up with. I listened to the radio. I watched TV. And I just knew it was the glitz and glamour job. The media landscape is much more diverse than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And so we don't necessarily have the luxury of waiting for students to come to us and young people to come to us. We need to go to them. And so we're trying to meet them where they are with all these different assets. That's amazing. So how's the response so far? It's been incredible. And, and I don't say that just because we're leading it. It really has sparked a lot of interest. We've had thousands of people come to this website and those are new eyes. We have our regular website, michiganmedia.com and we're, we have, that's always consistent. This is a brand new website and it's young people and people that are just trying to find out new things about the industry. And so we've had a, a ton of success there. It's given us the opportunity 
to take a tool to schools and students that we were connected with and to say, hey, there's a possibility here. There's a world that exists out there that you may not have even considered. Maybe you want to be the next great anchor or the next great sports reporter. We have opportunities for you there, but maybe you're more technical and want to do stuff behind the scenes. We have great opportunities in the engineering and programming fields. Uh, maybe you want to make a living on the sales and marketing side. We have opportunities for you there as well. And so we're just trying to give them kind of a wide scope of everything that's available. And truthfully, if you have any interest in any sort of media, there's something that's available at a station, probably in your backyard. And I would say, I would ask Ed as well, I'm one of the 51 executives of state broadcasters associations. This campaign is now being picked up by other states and they're going to do their version and bring it to their state. And to see the interest among my colleagues and to see that there's momentum, I hope that this is something that other states can pick up and say, wow, this is a tool that we have that hopefully we can just generate some new interest within our industry. This campaign sounds amazing, Sam. Glad to hear that your colleagues were supportive. How about your board? Were there conversations that you needed to have to gain their support? I will say, honestly, I didn't have to do a whole lot of lobbying to get the board on board. And that's a huge credit to them. That was part of the strategic plan process. The problem was identified by multiple people. It seemed to be an overarching issue that everyone agreed that this is the priority number one. So the sell on doing this campaign wasn't very hard. And our board was involved in it. You know, our executive committee was very involved in the RFP process. They were very involved in the messaging. We had some of our members send us visuals and they were involved in the script process to make sure that how we articulate the jobs and the needs was done properly. And so they, they were very involved, very supportive. And to some degree, it's now our responsibility as the association to make sure that this campaign gets out there in mass because the board entrusted us with creating it and they've put resources behind it. And so now it's our job to make sure that it has a real impact. To some degree, that's unquantifiable, right? How many students are inspired by this? We may never know, but we know that it's getting in front of a lot of students. We know there are people coming to the website that are seeing it on social media, and we have those analytics. But it really is a PR campaign for the value uh, and opportunity in our industry. And I give the board an immense amount of credit because, again, you know, we were the first state to do this. We did it on, on a very large scale. It's now being replicated, and they truly deserve all the credit in the world for taking a swing like this. Yeah, I like how you frame it as a big swing because it probably the total investment of time and resources, I'm sure, was a big swing. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that you guys, you know, went through the RP process and hired a, you know somebody to help with the public relations aspect of at the campaign. But tell us a little bit about obviously, as you mentioned, now it's really up to the association and the staff to really drive it and make sure it's out there. So was the operation already well-situated to support a campaign like this, or have you had to realign some of the staff responsibilities? I give my predecessor, Carol White, a ton of credit because she's established a foundation at the MAB that allows us to do these kinds of things. We're in a fortunate position, and she deserves the credit for establishing that. But when we decided to do this, yeah, I think there was a, a reestablishing of tasks and making sure that, again, our priorities are all tied into those three bullet points we identified in the strategic plan. So our staff has re-identified what their roles are. You know, not a complete shift, but yeah, we're doing things in a, in a different way. We're bringing a new person on board here to help completely with our social media and our digital outreach. Again, we have these great assets. They have no value if they just sit on the shelf or aren't being used in a fun 
strategic way that, that engages a, a new audience. And we're being very strategic on how we get this messaging out, but we're trying to do it in, in a big way that feels like, wow, this is something that, that is inspiring. This is something that I'm at least intrigued by, if nothing else. There's a footnote to that, and maybe it's bigger than a foot. One of the things that drew my attention to the work that you've been doing is the event that you held in Detroit, that Great Lakes Broadcast Sports Media event. So tell us a little bit about that, because I imagine that it really dovetails into this campaign as well, as far as workforce recruitment. It does. Uh, we launched it before we kicked off the campaign. So we, we started it for the first time in December of 2022. And the impetus behind doing that was growing up, I went to a number of career fairs as a reporter. And I, you know, I wanted to, this is an opportunity for me to connect with stations. We've been doing this at our association. Every association has career fairs in some capacity. But our identity as an association to say, this is an industry that's fun and engaging and forward thinking. And a lot of the career fairs that I've gone to were in convention centers or hotel ballrooms. And truthfully, if you're a student, that may not be the most appealing place, especially when, as I mentioned earlier, we can't rely on students coming to us anymore. We have to go out to them because our media landscape, we're not just competing with our competitive broadcast stations. We're competing against the Googles, and Facebooks, and Amazons of the world now. So we have to put on basically a, a show that says, hey, this is an industry that has that same kind of energy, that same kind of feel. And so when we were coming out of, and I've used this in quotes, the post-COVID era of a lot of things were done remotely. And I thought this was a good time. And we have now new leadership at the MAB. This is a good time for us to reset and reimagine what our career fairs look like. So we have a partnership with the Detroit Lions. They're associate members of ours. And I thought, you know, what if we did this at one of the marquee venues in the state? We can create the content. We can get content behind a program. That's never been the issue. The content's not been the issue. It's been the, am I a student who wants to wake up at eight o'clock in the morning to go to a field trip? Am I excited to go to a place that is a ballroom or a hotel? No, but if I go to Ford Field, that is exciting. And there's some glamour behind that. And there's some energy behind that. And so in the first year, we gave it a shot and we were expecting about 200, 250 students or so. We had 600. And it was a rousing success. And we learned a ton from it. And we were very proud of how it went. And so we said, we'll do it again in year two. And so this past November, we had our second academy. And we learned a lot. And the first year students said, hey, this was great. But we did a lot of listening. We didn't have a whole lot of hands-on stuff. We want that. And so we took that to heart and said, absolutely. And so we had a mobile weather center where students could pretend to be a meteorologist. And they can use the green screen. And they got the video of them doing that. They did stand-ups where they were reading off a teleprompter. They got that video. They got to do headshots. And so they left with physical, tangible things that now they can use that on their resumes. When they go to apply for that first job, they are you know, without materials. They have stuff that they got from our event. And so we help you know, cultivate that and help inspire them to maybe make some outreach that they otherwise wouldn't because they're more equipped to do. And this year we had 900 people that attended the event. In the previous five years of in-person events, we had 1,000 attendees. In the last two years, we've had 1,600, which is just an incredible success. And it's going to continue to grow year over year, I believe. And I think that's the way that you engage. You try to find things that are exciting and new. And if you can put the infrastructure and the planning behind it and find helpful partners, you can make it a success. And our, our members have been nothing but supportive of the event. That's incredible. I'm sure those students enjoyed the hands-on experience. Yeah, it was cool to see them posting on social media afterwards. So they get these materials and they're posting their stand-ups and their videos on social media. And some did it. I was like, oh man, I wasn't very good. But some like, I really, I might have something here. 
and it helps our members to identify this person might have some potential and to reach out. Yeah, we, we were super excited about that. And I think we've already got plans to do some more engaging stuff next year. So Sam, mental health has certainly become a top concern for many professions and professionals. So is that a concern for your members? And if so, how has MAB tackled the situation or issue? It absolutely is. I'm particularly concerned about some of our younger people. They're tasked with covering some very tough stuff. I think about things like the Oxford School shooting and obviously the Michigan State shooting. Those are tough things to cover for a young person. We had journalists that were covering the Michigan State shooting that were students at Michigan State just months prior. And so it's very personal. And I was a young person and covered stuff. And, and if you see a dead body or you're covering something that it's just, it, it is, it's very hard to do. And in the moment, you have to show strength and professionalism, but everyone goes home for their job. And when you go home, it's sometimes hard to leave those visuals, those stories behind. And I was really concerned about that. And again, this ties into the retention piece, right? If people are covering this and they don't feel like they have support or resources, they're going to leave this industry because some of these things they are covering is daunting and it's hard. And so last year we partnered with the Mental Health Association in Michigan, um, and they provided us with a number of webinars for young people, not just young people, but journalists in general, to cope and discover the the tools that are available for them to overcome some of the, these challenges they may be feeling when, once they're you know at home by themselves and, and away from the job. And then we struck a partnership with BetterHelp.com, which provides therapy. So in that relationship, our members get four free sessions. And then after those sessions, it's a 15% discount for therapy after that. And again, if you don't take advantage of it, that's totally fine, but it's a resource that's available for you to, to feel like you have that level of support. And I think that's the role of any association, to make sure that your members feel like they have resources to help them do their jobs better and to grow in that role. And so we're, we take mental health very seriously, and we hope that our members continue to take advantage of, of those resources. That's an incredible resource to offer your membership. So Sam, did you have any mentors when you were pursuing your career and how have they impacted you in the role that you hold today? Yeah. I mean, I, I, as I mentioned at the start, you know, I get to work alongside some of the people I grew up listening to. George Blaha let me, you know, job shadow him when I was in college and, and now he's in our hall of fame. It's just cool to be able to, to work you know, alongside him. But in the association side, again, as, as a newer leader, you know, it's, it's been helpful to be able to lean on, on those that have been doing this for a number of years. I worked, as I mentioned, in Indiana at the Broadcasters Association for a number of years, and Dave Arlen there took me under his wing, and he really guided me and helped me position myself for this role. Um, and thinking about how events are done, thinking about how you engage with members, how you run a board meeting. So he did a really good job taking me under his wing, showing me how, what it means to be a professional. A colleague of mine at Indiana, uh, his name is Josh Phelps, looked at things in a creative way in terms of video and how you present things. And Josh is younger than me, and I, I've learned a lot from him. Mentors come in, in all shapes and sizes, all points of their career. But I, I've leaned on, on those two guys a lot for a lot of things. But I'm blessed with having association executives in the broadcast field from all over the country. And they're so willing to help, so willing to offer guidance. I, I can't tell you the, the amount of times that I've called people. I've Her name is Michelle Vetterkind. She works in, in Wisconsin. I've leaned on her. Dewey Bruce in Montana. There are people all over that I call and I lean on. And I say, hey, what can I do here? What ideas do you have? And they've been incredibly helpful in doing that. And Wendy Paulson in Minnesota, I, I could go on and on and, and name names, but, but they're very helpful. And I'm just super fortunate to have them as resources. You have done some remarkable work. It certainly seems like you have been with MAB much longer than just a few years. 
I'm sure it felt longer when you're in the saddle, right, making those decisions. But tell us a little bit. So you just mentioned really how what a great resource your colleagues across the country have been yep. and your board members, right, and some of your members and partners. So why do you think it's important to belong to an association like MAB or MSAE, Sam? I think that collaboration is huge. Working in a silo, I have found, at least in my career, is not going to be very successful. You get so much feedback, so many different ideas by working in collaboration with other individuals. For MSAE, for example, I don't have colleagues that are really in the media space, but they do things in their respective associations that are genius. And it's, oh, yeah, that is an efficient way to do something. Or, oh, I've never thought about even having a an event in that capacity or, or tailoring it in that way. And so you can learn things from other groups that I think is incredibly beneficial. And I think to some degree, I, me personally, would I'd be naive to think, oh, I've got all the answers. Like, I, I won't ever have all the answers. And so to be able to rely on those who've been doing it a number of years or those who are just starting and have fresh ideas, that's how you establish and create maybe I think the best association that you can by pulling in these different ideas from groups. And I'm Super, you know, appreciative, Donna. You were one of the, the first people that that reached out to me in, in this role, and that's been an invaluable resource. And I've gotten to know a lot of people on their board very well. John has been a, a great resource to to rely on. I would encourage everyone to get involved in whatever capacity your time allows. We all have full time jobs, and so any work that we do with MSAE or any time we spend is additive, but it's incredibly beneficial for not only you as a leader, but for your members down the line. Thank you for that, Sam. I appreciate it. Sam, I want to congratulate you again on the fantastic work that you and the team at MAB have been doing for your members, for the whole broadcast industry and our state as a whole. I also want to thank you for joining us for our very first podcast today. Thank you, Don. I really appreciate you having me. Ariel, thank you for being such an excellent guest host. Thank you, Donna, for having me co-host with you today. We'd also like to thank Association Briefings for their generous support of MSAE and the production of this podcast. Listeners, we can't thank you enough for joining us for this inaugural episode of Insight, where leadership meets innovation and challenges become opportunities. You can find more details about the terrific work of MAB and Sam Clement in the show notes located at msae.org. We hope you'll subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. See you next time.